Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Today is our 23rd session in a series which we have been discussing called Grace Reigns Through Righteousness. And remember we've been saying that grace, which is the substance inherent to the nature of God, that's what grace is. Grace is the composite constituent element that comprises God as a spirit being. And when that comes to us, it does two things. It configures our sonship. It makes us sons of God, in other words, from infancy to maturity as we grow. Secondly, it empowers functionality. So Paul said, I am what I am by grace, and then he said, I work. So it made him who he is, sonship, or configuration of identity, and then empowered his functionality in terms of what God has called him to, to do. Romans teaches that that component, that dynamic called the grace of God, reigns or rules or finds its most powerful expression within something called righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. So wherever there is the condition of righteousness, grace finds its most uh, ideal context in which to have maximum uh, effect. So you and I which have been saved by grace, you come into the kingdom, you have the gift of righteousness and positionally, everyone say positionally, positionally you're right with God, but practically What the gift of righteousness does when it's attained, 1 John teaches that who is righteous except he who practices righteousness. So a lot of people say, I have positional righteousness. It doesn't matter how I live, I can still find favor with God. No, you won't, right? The fact that you have been accepted by him positionally means that now practically, behaviorally, Uh, thoughtfully in your thought life, you have to express or give evidence of what you claim to be true positionally, okay? So we've been working on then, how do we overcome sinful tendencies or proclivities that we so pray to um, time and time again? How do I master things so that by my lifestyle, I can exhibit the Son of God whom I claim to be, Okay? We've been working through a few principles. Firstly, I said to you, abide in sonship. Everyone say, abide in sonship. So, the first sin, Adam's sin, had nothing to do with, a deep, with, with adultery, with lies, stealing, cheating. There was no moral or ethical infringements when the first sin happened. And remember the Greek word sin is hamashia, which means to, come on, it means to, to miss the mark, okay? So, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. You fall short of, the mark is glory. Everyone say glory. And glory refers to the exact representation of God in the earth as a son of God, okay? So, when we sin, we fall short of a mark called glory, which is the exact nature of God. And glory can only be expressed in an earth context in and through something called sonship. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are invisible. 
but they chose to visibilize themselves by making humans. That's you and I. But the human race is not just another species. The human race are called sons of God. That's what God's original intent. Not so? Everyone say sons of God. And so, we, everyone say we are of God. Right? So, we are sons of God. So, wherever He is like, so are we. He's invisible, but we are the visible representation of everything that is true of divinity or God. Okay? And so, if we are going to exhibit His fullness, I'm saying to you, there's something called son of. Sonship. The fact that we are God's sons is very important. Because it's the only medium by which any human can fully portray who God is. Repeat after me, God is my Father. Come on, say it again. God is my Father. Say, I am His Son. Right? So, this mentality that God is my Papa, is my Daddy, I must never vacate that understanding. Because Adam's first sin wasn't anything to do with sinful tendencies as we know it. His sin was a departure or dis, excuse me, a disconnect from God as his, a disconnect from God as his father. Thanks. First John makes a very powerful statement. I'm just summarizing briefly before I go on. He said this, that there are sins that lead to death, first John 5, 16 to 18. And that there are sins that don't lead to death. Right? Now, the wages of sin is what? Is death. What is the death spoken there? Right? Now, James says it like this. this. The body without the spirit is dead. So whenever in scripture you reference something called death, you're always referencing a separation. Whenever in your mind when you're studying the Bible and you read death, you think separation. So when you die physically, what happens? You're your spirit will depart from your body. There's a separation. God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. But the man went on to live 930 years later. And he lived on the earth for that length of time. So obviously the immediacy of the judgment was not preeminently physical death. It was something spiritual. God was saying to him, you're going to die spiritually. Physical death is a separation from, of man's spirit from his human body. But spiritual death is when a man's spirit disconnects from the God, his father as a spirit being. So Adam said to God, um, you, you, no longer do I require you to come every day as you used to in the cool of the day to commune with me. My spirit, soul, and body can live independently of you. I choose to be an architect of my own future. I'll dictate the terms. I will rule the planet. But it will not be reflective of everything that you are. When Adam did that, what he essentially did, he vacated sonship. Right? Now I'm saying to you, listen carefully. What helps me stop sinning? What helps me stop sinning in reference to Moral, ethical violations. It's a mentality that I am God's son. And there are certain behavioral, behavioral tendencies that are not fit or in keeping with my claim to be the son of God. And so, 
if I leave my sonship position, that for me is a sin. I've missed the mark. I haven't hit bullseye. Like an archer missing the mark. I have not hit bullseye because I vacated an identity. Everyone say identity. Identity is very important because who you, how you think of yourself will determine how you function in life. Right? Say it again. I'm God's son. Right? So, from an identity, positional reality, I can practically live right. It's about the restoration of a position. If your position is right, your practice will be right. Right? So John says there is a sin that leads to death. What he was referencing there is death, a separation of man's spirit from God as spirit, is when you elect to vacate and leave God. Separate your spirit from him. But if you are a son, John says that if we... If any man sins, same writer says, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the, with the Father. Jesus Christ, the, the righteous. Now, for example, being a son of God, I fall prey from time to time to various things in my humanity, in my human weakness. But uh, we read, I want to read all the scriptures again. I'm just summarizing. If you study John's writings carefully, he's referencing those who do not indulge in sin as a practice. Those who don't indulge in sin routinely, with deliberate intent. He says, we don't continue sinning. In other words, we don't continue practicing sin. Okay? And he says that he who has the seed of God in him, that's the son of God, cannot sin. When he says that cannot sin, means cannot leave the position of his sonship identity in Christ. The sad reality which I will demonstrate in forthcoming sessions is this. Watch. A lot of people say, well, I can maintain sonship and hold on to this positional fact that I'm connected. Say connected. My, my spirit in touch with his. But I don't need to be very purposeful about mastering certain weaknesses I have in my character or nature. I can leave things unattended in the hope that I can always bank on this positional state of being right with God. Let me just say this. That's a frightening thought, dangerous thinking. You know why? And I won't do, deal with it now. I'm going to deal with something else now. But if you, through uh, a lack of discipline in certain areas, willfully continue along a wrong path, your wrong practice could negate your claim to be positionally right before God. Right? And the scriptures are washed with too many examples of that nature. Okay? But we are after, say, master sin. Right? We are after mastering sin. Remember what we want is grace. Everyone say grace. The theme of the series is grace reigns where? Grace reigns in? So we want to be righteous in our practice so that grace can land. Grace is looking for a place to, to land, which is called? Righteous. My, my, our favorite scripture in this regard is Psalm, Luke, Psalm 84, verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and shield. What does He give? He gives grace and no good thing will He withhold from those that do what? Who walk uprightly. So if you want this thing called grace and glory, God is saying, I will not withhold anything from those who walk right. The word righteously here, is translated in the NASB uprightly. So if, you're, if your walk is upright, 
grace allotment increases in you. Right? Grace allotment, grace allocation increases in you. Everyone say abide in sonship. Right? And then I taught you then stay strongly in the word of God. You overcome by your commitment to the word of God in you. Amen? How many people love the Bible? Love God's word. How many people are reading God's word every day? Amen? It is my very intent to encourage you to love God's word more than anything in life. You know why? Sin is going to play havoc with you if you don't have the power of God's word in you. You overcome sin by the presence as a son. You don't just bank on your positional identity. The son of God overcomes by the reality of the, the word of God in you. I shared this verse, I think, on the WhatsApp group last night. Deuteronomy 6 verse 24 says the following. So the Lord God commanded us to observe all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival. As it is today, verse 25, it will be what? So what is right, what is right living? Um, the previous verse, go back, Luke, verse 24 says, the Lord, the Lord commanded us to do what? To observe all these statutes. In other words, to obey His word. To fear the Lord our God always, for it'll be for our survival as it is this day. Let me just say this. The way the world is going, you are compromised automatically if you do not have a powerful installment of God's word in you and your commitment to obey it. Right? The way the world is going, we're going to need to survive in this era. And the word of God is going to be our anchor and our stay. Okay? The next verse says, It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all of the commandments before the Lord our God, just as He commanded us. And so I really want to encourage you to love God's word more than anything. Today I want to speak about, I want to speak about the third element. How can I overcome sin? Firstly, I must abide in sonship. Never, believe, never leave my sonship identity in Christ. Secondly, I must abide in God's word. Love God's word more than, more than anything. Jesus overcame Satan's temptations by constantly saying, It is written. It is written. The word of God is your arsenal. It's your defense mechanism against the temptations in the world. You've got to have something with which to respond to the enemy. Bible says, resist the enemy and he will, and he will flee from you. Thirdly, um, it's something that's been growing in my spirit, and I, sh- I started this last week. Um, You've got to overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, I took a great deal of time in demonstrating this fact to you, that when the Holy Ghost is given, his primary function is not speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Holy Ghost or the so-called expressions or moving of the Spirit as we've known it in Pentecost. Biblically, the main reason of the Holy Ghost is to foster and entrench sonship identity. Okay? Uh, Various scriptures from Galatians and Romans teach that He is called the Spirit of adoption. That when we give our hearts to the Lord, it's the Spirit of His Son, it says. The Spirit of His Son that comes in us, giving us the capacity to cry, Abba, 
father, to cry, my father, my father. I as a son can cry to God as father by and in and through the work of the, the Holy Ghost in me. So you cannot neglect the person nor the power or purpose of the Holy Ghost. Right? Remember, please remember this. His preeminent role is to establish me in my sonship identity. Okay? His preeminent role is to establish me in my sonship identity. And I, I went through a bunch of scriptures, which I don't want to do now, but to make one or two points. First John 5.18 says the following. Right? Now, First John 5.18 before we go there, let's go to First Peter chapter one verse five. First Peter chapter one verse five. Remember, last week we took the pressure off you. You might say, "Ran of tall order to live like this in terms of how you are saying." I'm saying not so if you rely not on you to live like this. You have to rely on the power of the the Holy Spirit to empower you to live righteously or practice um, righteously before the Lord. 1 Peter 1 5 is that? It says we are kept by the power of God. Repeat this after me. Kept by the power of God. How are you doing today? Come on. How are you doing today? Say kept, right? I want to encourage you to say this. People ask you how's it? How are you doing? How's it going? Tell them kept. Right? <laughs> Who is keeping you? How are you kept? You are kept by the power of God. God has not lifted up to you to keep yourself. God said, I will keep you. So you, if you're going to live righteously, you're going to have to rely on that power of the Holy Spirit too, to keep you. And we went through several kept scriptures last week. But one in particular is 1 John 5, 18, which depending on which version of the Bible you, you use might sound different. Pastor Thamel quoted this at the POA on Wednesday from a different version, and I knew some of our people were sitting there, probably looked at the screen and thought, wow, this is a bit different to what we saw last week in the service, right? Now, this scripture says, we know whoever is born of God does not sin, right? What is he referencing there? The sin that does not lead to death. What John is saying, he does not, like Adam, disconnect from God, his father, okay? But he, who, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. Watch, small case, he, that's implying it's a reference to you and I. He who has been born of God keeps himself. Tell someone, keep yourself. And the wicked one does not touch him. You can have immunity. You can safeguard yourself from satanic attacks by keeping yourself. So the moment you open the door by willful self uh, and sinful indulgence, the Bible says if you break the hedge, the snake will, the snake will bite you. So don't give the enemy legal grounds to attack you. Tell someone, keep yourself. Right? Keep yourself. But isn't this contradicting First Peter 1 5? We've just read, who keeps you? Who keeps you? You're kept by the power of God. NASB, same, same verse. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he, capital H, had a reference to Christ. He, Christ, who is born of God, the preeminent firstborn son, Jesus, keeps him. That's you and I, small case H. Right? So, 
if you read on, verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Let's go to verse 21. Little children, God or the word God is the same word, keep. Again, John says, you God or you keep yourself. The way this works is like this. In, in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, you'll see the principle. But it works like this. When you, listen carefully, cooperate with God and intend, make a decision, I'm going to keep myself from evil. I'm going to keep myself from willful sinning. The moment you incline the heart to do that, you activate the power of God in you so that when you have kept yourself, it wasn't really you who kept you, it was Christ who kept you. It's, it's an inclination to cooperate. The moment God sees this person is inclined, his desire is to please. The moment there's an inclination towards, what you're going to find kicking into your life is the power of God's grace that empowers you to live the way you want to. It, it, it does require a decision and a desire. Everyone say desire. Say decision. Two weeks' time, I'll share on that, how those two components are critical if you're going to practice living righteously, right? You gotta, the scripture says of Jesus, he hated lawlessness or he hated wickedness, but he loved righteousness. Some things you've got to love and some things you literally have to make a decision. I hate lies, pornography, I hate fraud. You've got to hate some things and you've got to love. You've got to come to a place of decision when God sees you're bent on doing the right thing at that precise moment his grace and power will come to you and will kick in to keep you so that you will be kept by the power of God Daniel 1 verse 8 says this is a well-known portion Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself himself with the king's choice food it's gonna stop there everyone say he made up his mind See, God requires a made-up mind. God requires decision. The moment Daniel said, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew boy, I'm from the tribe of Judah, in an alien environment called Babylon that wants to defile me with its meat, its food. The Bible says it all started with purpose in the mind. He said, I have made up my mind. I will not defile myself. And I'm suggesting to you, he was able to do it. Because the power of God came into him and literally empowered him to do the same. God will never force you to do what you don't want to do. But you have to cooperate with him. Amen? You have to cooperate with him. Now, everyone say you are kept. Right? You are kept by... And Jude 1.24 says he's able to keep you from... He's able to keep you from falling. Last week, I told you how Jesus prayed in the garden... Uh, in Gethsemane, his prayer before Calvary, and what did he say? Father, I have kept them where? I have kept them in your name. In other words, be father fixated. Um, be, when, you, when you're father fixated, you'll abide in your sonship identity. And you will not lose your footing easily. Okay? You will not lose your footing easily. Now, what I want to focus on specifically and more uh, focusedly, is how the Holy Ghost keeps us. 
1 Peter 1.5, we said we are kept by the power of God. Okay? We are kept by the power of God. There's a marvelous scripture in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, which says the following. This verse I used to quote often when we preached in buses in our youth to the unsaved, to get them saved. Okay? And it says the following. God says, amazingly, moreover, I will give you what? A new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. God says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Everyone say, I will. Who does the prerogative rest with? God. Who is the initiative rest with? God says, there's certain things I want to do for you. I'll take your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And in the next verse, Wesley, watch what he says. I will put what within you? I will put my spirit within you and do what? Everyone say, cause you. Who is the cause? Come on, who is the cause? God is. God is saying, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's obedience. That's pleasing me. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. But an amazing thing, God says, I know your humanity. I know your weakness. So I will not leave it entirely up to you. I will give you something called my spirit. And he will be the cause behind your obedience. Now, if you're not aware of his person within your life, and part of his purpose is to prompt, to fuel your obedient responses to the word of God, you're going to fall short every time. Who loves the Holy Ghost? Come on, who loves the Holy Spirit? Yeah? We love the Holy Ghost. And part of his work is to empower, to fuel the sons of God, to cause them to live obedient lives in God. So watch a very good practice now for you to do is this. Let's say you obey God in a particular respect. Someone comes to you and says, hey, well done, Vanola. You've obeyed God. You know what? In, maybe not verbally, but in your heart you must say, thank you, God, for causing me to obey. You did require my cooperation. I did incline my heart. I made up my mind like Daniel. But the glory ultimately goes to, the glory ultimately goes to you. Everyone repeat after me. The Holy Ghost will cause me. Say, Holy Ghost cause me. If you are struggling in a particular matter, perhaps you're relying on your own strength. Maybe not tapping into, plugging into a power, resource, and energy that can drive and fuel your obedience. It's called the Holy Ghost. Amen. When you feel weak, rely on Him. Amen? Rely on Him to get the job done. Psalm 143 verse 10 is an amazing psalm, which I actually stumbled upon in my studying this week. It says the following, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me where? On? Everyone say level ground. So the prayer of David, he's saying, I want to do your will, so teach me. Right? You are my God, and he, he realizes that if I'm to walk on level ground, and by the way, level ground here 
is a Hebrew word, misor, which literally means righteousness and uprightness. So David wants to be, when he says level ground, it's not the opposite in, 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 in English of level ground from the Hebrew root is a crooked path. He's saying, I don't want to walk crookedly. I don't want to be uh, deceitful in my dealings. I don't want to be scheming and conniving in my walk through life. I want to walk on a level path, level playing. He's saying righteously and uprightly. But he says, his prayer request to God is, let your good spirit lead me. Right? Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Again, it's the power of the Holy Ghost that's going to lead you to level ground. Okay? Tell someone you don't have to be deceitful. Tell someone you don't have to be crooked. It is possible to live a life of integrity, circumspection, rectitude, and uprightness before God. It is possible. And when you're struggling, pull this verse out. Say, God, teach me to do your will. Let your good spirit lead me, empower me, fuel my obedience, take me to level ground. A lifestyle of integrity is impossible without reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, everyone say obedience. In two or three weeks' time, I will, I will share teaching on the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Because I realize a lot of people aren't baptized in the Holy Ghost. You have the resident Holy Ghost in you when you are saved. He indwells any son of God. He gives you the power to cry to God, Abba, Father. But there's an experience that is distinct from that, which is called the, the baptism in His power. And let me just say this to you. We must trust God that every believer in this church is baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because there's a source, there's an energy and a power that will enable your obedience in many respects. But you know that even those who've received the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and those who have the resident indwelling power of the Holy Ghost, still need to employ obedience to God by that same power to grow into the fullness of the Spirit. Right? To grow into the fullness of the Spirit. Now, Acts chapter 5 verse 32 says the following. And we are witnesses of these things. Watch. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Right? Now, this is no, no, no hidden revelation yet. Basic. Look at the latter part of the verse. He has given the Holy Spirit to who? Come on, say it out loud. To those who obey Him. So, if I'm a son of God, what must I foster in my life to ensure the effective working of the Holy Ghost in my life? I must obey. Yes, I've just taught you that even to obey, I will rely on His power. He will cause me to walk in God's ways. What, I'm, what, what I wanted to encourage you very strongly this morning is, don't depart from obedience and walk in disobedience and still think that the Holy Spirit will always aid you in life. It's, it's deception to think. He will always be with me, even though positionally I'm right, but practically inaccurate in what I'm doing. 
and can still depend on him. He does require my cooperation. Acts 5.32 must be a verse you must commit to memory. Everyone say the Holy Spirit. Even this last part. Say the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to everyone that obeys Him. So how do I maintain the givenness of the Holy Ghost in my life? I have to walk a lifestyle of oh, obedience. Now please track with me. I'm going to get into a few um, illustrations of this principle. Now please, you've got, to, you've got to concentrate, okay? Don't lose the impartation because you're going to leave here empowered. You're going to leave here fueled by the power of the Holy Ghost to live right, okay? Now Ecclesiastes 9 verse 8 contains a statement that forever worried me, not worried me, couldn't understand it until recent times. It says, let your clothes always be white all the time. And let not oil be lacking on your head. That was an amazing portion of scripture. Let your clothes be white all the time. Is What does white clothing denote? Purity. Right, righteousness, uh, integrity, circumspection, rectitude, all of the obedience. And this verse is saying, let your clothes be white all the time. And if you have white clothes, what will be on your head automatically? Oil on your head. What does oil denote? Come on. Oil in the scripture is symbolic of the Holy Ghost. Okay. Uh, the anointing oil, the oil that uh, priests and kings, for example, were anointed with, was a symbolic, um, imp- uh, a, a symbolic gesture, if you would, of the anointing of the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is likened unto oil in the Scripture. So the Lord really challenged me about this verse. God is saying to me, Randolph, if you want the oil on your head, which is a picture of God uh, anointing you, or empowering you for for service. Make sure that your clothes are always white. Simple, right? Make sure that your clothes are always white. Let me just say something. I don't want to minister on the anointing, the concept here, but just very, very quickly, whenever you use this phrase, the anointing, I am anointed, you're always referencing something to do. No one has an anointing with nothing to do. The anointing is to empower you to do Something Like Jesus said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, etc. The anointing is always for a function. The Old Testament, the priests were anointed for priestly service. Don't seek an anointing if you have nothing to do. That's the point. Don't seek an anointing if you have no task to fulfill. Don't seek an anointing if you have no purpose to, to do. Okay? So... The anointing also in our lives that the presence and work of the Holy Spirit will not only fuel our functionality in God, will not only um, cause us to do God's work effectively, but that anointing too will keep us pure and obedient. Keep us pure and obedient. One of the ingredients of the anointing oil was olives. Olive, Olive oil as well, you know. Olive oil was used to anoint, symbolic of the the Holy Spirit. Now, please track with me in Deuteronomy 28. It's a fairly long chapter. We won't read the entirety of the chapter. 
But who knows what Deuteronomy 28 is about? It's a long, very famous chapter in the Old Testament. Right? It compares obedience versus disobedience. God starts off and he chats to Israel. He says, if you obey me, here are the consequences. Then midway, God mentions a host of blessings. Midway, God stops this. But if you disobey, here are your curses. So you guys choose in which realm you want to live. Now watch verse 1 and 2. God says, Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 and 2. Okay? Listen carefully. It shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Listen carefully. Issue is obedience. If you obey. If. In other words, there's a, there's a requirement, a prerequisite. If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments, which I command you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And there afterwards from chapter 3 right down to chapter for us from verse 3 to verse 14, he lists a whole lot of specific blessings. Then in chapter 15, God says, But if it comes about that if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, all these curses will come upon you and over and overtake you. One of them dropped right down to verse 40. A whole list of them are listed. One of the curses of disobedience is this. You will have olive trees throughout your territory, but you will not anoint your, yourself with oil, for your olives will drop off. Now, the oil is derived from the olive plant. The olive oil symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God says to Israel, if this nation disobeys me, guess what will happen to the plant that whose fruit from which you derive oil to anoint you for service? God says, there'll be no olives. So you will not anoint yourself. Now, here's an amazing thing. How many people are waiting for some major big preacher to come from the States for impartation? Okay. Do you know you can deliver yourself right now? You can set yourself free. Right? Repeat these words after me. Anoint yourself. God says, God is saying to, to Israel, there's a way in which you can anoint yourself. And in context, he says, it's via the process of obedience. If Listen, every step of obedience that you take, you are maintaining the work and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. You disobey, you will not anoint yourself. Remember we, we studied Ruth some time ago, about three or four years ago, the whole book? Yeah? What did Ruth say, Naomi say to Ruth? I think it's Ruth 3 verse 1 and 2, there about somewhere. Right? Look at this. Verse 2. Verse 3. This is a father, Ruth. Naomi is a spiritual father talking to Ruth, a spiritual son. A leader talking to a follower. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. Make yourself known to no man until he has finished eating and, and drinking. Right? 
Listen, there are some things that other people cannot do for you. There are some things that you have to do for yourself. This is a father. Watch, Naomi is a spiritual father talking to Ruth, a spiritual son. It's not a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. I explain why. But the leader says to the one following, there are certain things even I cannot do for you that you have to do for yourself. You cleanse yourself. You anoint yourself. You wash yourself. Now, I, I want to establish this principle firmly in the life of the corporate environment of the church. This church must be anointed. Everyone say anointed. Holy Spirit power must always work. How do we maintain that? Come on, talk to me. How do we maintain it by? Obedience. Every time you obey and you have a commitment to obey, what you are doing biblically is you are anointing yourself. You're anointing yourself. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 8, sorry, 1 verse 9, before we go there. Hebrews 1 verse 9, I, I, will, I will explain this verse more thoroughly later, but I'll, I'll make a simple principle here. Who is this verse speaking of? Jesus. The writer of the book of Hebrews draws reference from an Old Testament scripture, and he's talking in context about Jesus Christ. He says of Jesus that you, talking about Christ, you have loved what? You've loved righteousness, but you hated lawlessness. So when you love righteousness and you obey God and you hate wickedness, lawlessness, disobedience, etc., therefore, everyone say therefore. In other words, this is the result. Therefore, God, your God has done what? Has anointed you with, with oil. Right? Your, your, your hatred of what is wrong and your love for what is right is your anointing. It's the context in which though you'll find the Holy Spirit's power most efficaciously at work within your life. It's, it's going to go to the next level when you commit to a lifestyle of obedience. Now, I want to use a, a case study. Oh, by the way, what did David say in Psalm 23? He was a shepherd, not so. He looked after sheep, verse 5. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Everyone say enemies. Now let me just tell you now, biblically, from the scripture, your enemies are Satan. Your enemies are the world. The Bible says about the world as our. Not people in the world. The world systems. Principles that govern life on the planet. That is an enemy to the son of of God. So it's, it's, it's Satan himself, it's the world, and biblically, it's your sinful flesh. Those are enemies. Everyone say Satan. Say the world. Say my sinful tendencies. The Bible calls all of those enemies. I won't have time to give you the scriptures. Right? Calls, so David says, in the presence, you know, whenever we read Psalm 23, we always pictured people as enemies, not so. Yeah? You see, when you sit at a table, you eat food. The food you eat is the word of God. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word. When you eat the word, you receive grace. In the environment of an enemy-filled world, the enemy, Satan, the world systems, your own sinful proclivities, but in that culture, what you need is to sit at a 
table. Tell someone, welcome to the table. What you are getting is food. What you are getting is bread. What you are getting is grace. That's why don't neglect the word. You cannot face enemies if you're not seated at a table. You're not sitting and feasting off the word of God. So when the word of God is your preeminent priority in your life, you love the scriptures, you love the Bible, you're imbibing the word of God daily, you can resist your enemy and he will flee, the Bible says. And then he says, you have done what? You have anointed my head with oil. So when I feast off, from the table of the bread of God's word, I can withstand Satan, withstand worldly policy and systems governed by him. I can overcome my sinful fleshly tendencies. He will anoint my head, my mentality, my mind, my thinking with, with energized power to do what he has called me to do in life. And I then enter into a phase called cup overflowing. I go into a a phase called abundance, prosperity. Yeah? Can you see the link? Everybody say, prepared table. Say, in presence of enemies. Say, head with oil. <laughs> the cup overflowing. It's like one leads to the other. A lot of people want to dive straight for cup overflowing. That's all I want. Overflowing cup. That's all I want. Give me that. But the Bible says you can't get there without prioritizing the table, the word. And as you obey that word, let me just say this, God's going to anoint your head with oil. David was a shepherd here. Um, when we did the series Healing the Wounded Soul, I referenced this. Listen carefully. Remember, um, shepherds would pour oil on the heads of sheep. They still do it in natural Israel and wherever you have uh, sheep farming today. The reason is because lice and other insects creep up the wool on the head area of the sheep and they find their way into the ear of the sheep and they burrow and possibly start to eat away and eventually get even into the brain of the sheep and ultimately the sheep will die. But David knew that. So David knew what he was saying. He was a shepherd who literally did this. We knew what he was saying when he said, you anoint my head with oil. Because if you put oil on the head of a sheep and you make the whole head oily, lice and other insects slip off the wool and they have no chance to get into the ear. So it was a symbol of protection. Everyone say protection. It was a symbol of immunity. It was a symbol of preservation when he said, you anoint my head with oil. I say to you, church, you can be protected. You can be immunized. You can experience the cover of the Lord through an anointing that God will give you by the power of his Holy Spirit. But it's going to demand from you if you're going to grow in this dynamic. Uh, the reason for my message today is I don't want a momentary experience of the Holy Ghost, waiting for some revivalist to come to a meeting and to, to, to conjure up atmosphere and to impart to me that has a place. I am saying there's a way in which I can do that for myself. Tell someone, anoint yourself. You anoint yourself by your obedience. Think about this. Let, let's say you are faced with a temptation. 
and let's say it's tempting. I don't want to use scenarios here, but you can use your imagination. Should I obey God or shouldn't I obey God? I am saying, first thing, sonship. My sonship identity. God is my father. I am his son. I mustn't miss the mark. Right? Then I have the word of God present in me, which, according to the scriptures, trains me in righteousness, instructs me in righteousness. Then you say, Lord, I have the power of the, the Holy Spirit that's going to cause me to obey. So as I obey, I take the step and the decision like Daniel made up his mind. I will make up my mind to keep myself. Once I made up my mind, the Holy Spirit's power comes in, fuels my obedience. And guess what I've just done? I've maintained the anointing. For some of you, listen carefully. I won't do it now. But there are some expressions biblically that increase the anointing. And God tests a man in a certain respect like he did Abraham. Now I know that you have, when you have not withheld your son, your only son whom you love. Abraham's grace allotment went to another level after that. I say to you prophetically, some of you need to hear this. I say to you very seriously that there's a level of grace and, and Holy Spirit empowerment and anointing that is waiting to break upon you but God is waiting to see an act of obedience in a specific respect. Just that one step of obedience, and guess what? Boom. You, you'll experience the power, the sheer power of the Holy Spirit in ways, in grace and favor, come upon your life in ways that will, will basically astound you. Okay, basically astound you. But I need to caution us all, including myself. I've got to love righteousness. Got to hate lawlessness. Then this is God will anoint you above your brothers, above others. Not to not to showcase you pridefully. This is not for ranking of one above the other, but for purpose. Everyone say for purpose. How many of you want to do God's work? Come on, let me see your hands. Like now, and I'm saying, if you're bent on purpose, want to do, you need to be empowered. Can't do it in your own flesh. Need the Holy Ghost. Okay, you need basically the Holy Spirit to fuel your actions. There was a man. Uh, Samson, as his story is well known, he was one of the, the many judges in Israel in the book of Judges. <laughs> the, preeminent, the preeminent enemy that Israel faced during the reign of his judging of Israel was the Philistines. It's amazing, each judge had a specific enemy to contend with, like Gideon dealt with the Midianites, remember? In the time of Samson, it was a Philistine attack that he had to deal with. The word Philistine means flesh wallowing, wasting away. Right? It alludes to the fleshly carnal nature. So that was a literal story, but we in the New Testament looking back at that and saying, you, Samson, fought a physical enemy, an army of Philistines. We're looking at that symbolic, symbolically and saying, you are fighting fleshly tendencies. You are, you are dealing with issues of, the, issues of the flesh. Samson was called at a very early age, before he was born actually, I think. And uh, his parents were told that he would be a Nazarite. Everyone say a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite was, if you, if you study uh, Numbers chapter 6, we won't have time to do that now, but if you study Numbers chapter 6, God said that there are certain individuals within Israel who he called to be Nazarites and would take what we call a Nazarite vow. 
<coughs> part of the vow would be this, excuse me. <coughs> part of the vow is, don't cut your hair. Don't eat sweet stuff like honey. <coughs> um, don't have strong drink like wine. You read other requirements like don't touch a dead body. And Samson violated every single one of them. If you know the story, right? Dead carcass, the lion, he went and ate honey. Remember? Don't cut your hair, but he gave the secret of his strength away to Delilah. Haircut. Samson did not know the experience of a barber shop. That was alien to his culture. <laughs> his strength symbolically was attached to his hair. Right? Now, amazingly, you know what the word Samson means? Little son. Splendid son. Like the son. The perfect son. The son man. What verse are you thinking about? And the Lord God is a son and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Everything about Samson embodied the son-like qualities inherent within God who gives grace to those who walk uprightly. He was to be God's shining light in the nation. He was to be, uh, and I taught this a few weeks ago, you need to get the CD if you want to hear the whole thing there. I don't have time to go back there. But he, he literally um, aborts destiny initially. Yes, God did restore him, but initially he played with sin. He treated the anointing lightly within his life, and he lost it. Judges chapter 13, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The child grew up, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Okay? Judges 14, verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Who, of all his associates, he was married twice, by the way, if you read the story. His second was Delilah. Remember, he was uh, in association with a wicked woman called Delilah. Okay? Now, tell your neighbor, stay far away from Delilah. <laughs> Do you know what Delilah means? Twofold. Delilah means delicate. But the secondary meaning is very bad. Delilah means to bring someone low. To bring someone low. Who would want to, 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 to engage intense relationship with someone? You know, in the Bible, names are not just descriptive terms. Name depicted character, nature, and destiny. Yeah, you are flirting with someone whose intent is to bring you low. Her name also means delicate. Be careful what is delicate might destroy you. It seems innocent. It seems inviting. It's alluring. It's seductive. But its intent is, is lethal. Right? Be careful on whose lap you lie. His head was on her lap. Right? Tell someone, don't Dalela with Delilah. <laughs> okay. Don't entertain that. And you know what? She, she, she consistently eroded his will through repetitive uh, inroads into his will 
to release the secret of his success. And she succeeded. Right? Some of you need to run away. You think you are strong, but the repetition of the attack over a long period of time has an eroding quality attached to it. Tell someone, run, bro. Don't stick around. Run. Right? And I I want to encourage you. The Bible says after he revealed the secret and she cut his hair off, and she said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines, the flesh, the, the, the sinful t- are upon you. The Bible says, he got up as in times before. But he did not know that the Spirit of God has had left him. Okay? What he did, he took it for, he took it for granted. Do you know his name also means distinguished? The word Samson, apart from sun, sun-like, etc., His name also means the perfect servant or distinguished. Everyone say distinguished. Now let me just say this. He was a Nazarite. He was set apart from men. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to maintain your distinction in life as one different from the rest, there are certain distinctives that you must hold on to that separate you from the rest. Those distinctives is a lifestyle that basically pleases God. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I just slotted this into my notes, when I learned that his name also means to be distinguished. Now, when you are distinguished, you stand out. Not so? You're one amongst many that God has his hand upon. Certain distinctive qualities about you that set you apart from the rest. And let me just say this to you. What's going to be your main distinctive is your purity. Tell someone your power is your purity. Your power is your purity. If I can, if I can beg of you to do anything, is live a pure life. Is just do the right thing all the time. That's going to be the source of your anointing. It's going to be the reason why God will empower you. Um, and I found in thinking about this word that his name means distinguished. A verse of scripture popped into my mind. Genesis 49 verse 26b. This is a prophecy of Jacob. He's prophesying over all the sons. When he came to Joseph, he says this, The blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the uttermost bounds of the everlasting hills. Just read this carefully. He's talking. He's the father of Joseph. He's saying, The blessings of, which is me, I'm I'm your father. The blessings of your father, that's me, have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors ancestors which is Abraham and Isaac. So Jacob is saying, I've reached such a blessed state. It's actually surpassed anything that Abraham and Isaac have experienced. And then he says, may those blessings be on everyone say the head of Joseph. You anoint my head with oil. My my cup runs over. May they be on the head of Joseph on the crown of of the head of the one distinguished amongst his brothers. The twelve brothers, Joseph stands out as distinct because, listen carefully, did not the will and purpose of God vest with him to save all of them? Not so. Joseph saved the whole nation when he went down to Egypt, collected grain. He saved the whole of the then known world from salvation. You're always anointed for a, for a, a purpose, for Something that you need to do in reference to the will 
of the Lord. Amen. This is, this is very, very important. Tell someone my head is anointed. Say there's no lice coming here. Lice is a, an insect symbolic of enemy attacks that make insidious inroads into your mentality, into your mind, your thinking. Right? Maintain that level of, of grace and anointing. It's very, very important. Don't be like Samson and take the power of God for granted. This is a warning to somebody here. Don't take what God has given you for granted. Thinking like at any day, Samson, you will wake up as in times before, do your thing. When the Holy Spirit can lift off you by virtue of your disobedience. God is gracious, but we must treasure what He has given to us. Amen? We must treasure what He has given to us. Now, let me just close because of time. In Luke 3, verse 21, the Bible says, When all the people were baptized, and Jesus also was baptized while He was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove. Everyone say the Spirit came on Him in bodily form like a dove. Right? And then a voice came from heaven saying what? You are my beloved Son. I told you the preeminent reason for why the Holy Spirit is given is to foster, consolidate, and entrench sonship. You are my beloved son in whom I am, am well pleased. Now listen carefully. Jesus was the word made flesh. Not so. He was the incarnation of the word of God. So in his humanity, he was the living, visible representation of the word of God. Not so. At his baptism, watch. And let me just say this. For Jesus, it took 30 years of consistent, perpetual obedience, particularly to his spiritual parents, Mary and Joseph. Because when he was 12, between 12 and 30, those 18 years, there's one scripture that describes Jesus' life. It says he subjected himself to Mary and Joseph. It's all you read, one statement defining 18 years of Jesus' life. That's a lifestyle of obedience. When he ultimately subjected himself to John's baptism, everyone say obedience. You see, subjection, humility, obedience, everything about the life of the Son of God is an obedient lifestyle. And the the heavens opened, the Spirit came and dwelt on Him in bodily form. The Holy Spirit will always attend wherever the Word has become flesh. Wherever the Word has become incarnate in the life of the Son of God, you will always have the hovering, overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit. And that will condone, corroborate your sonship in Christ. Okay? In Genesis 1 verse 1, let me just say this quickly. Genesis 1 verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face or the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God. Everyone say the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering or moving over the surface of the waters. Now please read this again. Verse 1, watch. In the beginning God created heaven, the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep. Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the, the waters. Now, time will not permit us to, to prosecute this verse 
with intensity. Safe to say. Deep. Everyone say deep. Deep here refers to the Father. The Holy Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. And waters here refer to the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Word made flesh. Water is always a symbolic representation of the the Word of God. So, the deep, the earth was formless and void. Darkness was on the surface of the deep, which is the Father. Darkness here is not darkness as in evil. It's it's, it's a realm, in, it simply says, the Father was not known, He was not disclosed. That's why the first act of creation, day one, is what? Let there be, and that's not sunlight, because the sun was only made on day three. Day one was God, I'm coming out of darkness, it's the self-revelation of my person. So the deep, the, the, the deep here, what does, the, there's a verse that says, deep cries unto Deep. So everything deep has reference to divinity. This is the nature of the Father. And the Spirit was moving over the surface of the waters, which I said waters is symbolically represents God's Word, which incarnately represents Jesus, the Son of God. Point being, the Spirit always moves over waters. The Spirit, and what is waters? The Word made flesh. When the Word of God becomes flesh in your flesh, the Holy Ghost will hover and move over you. The Holy Spirit looks for Word to support, protect. Okay? The Holy Spirit looks for that agency within a Son of God we has chosen to obey God. Amen? So are we going to be obedient? Come on, church. Are we going to obey God? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the the sons of God. You can say, and let me just say this, the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. You can't say I'm led by the Spirit to do X, Y, Z when your leading has got no biblical basis. The Spirit hovers in His leading over the Word of God that you have installed in your life. Amen? So is, your, is our level of anointing going to increase? What I, what I know prophetically is that there will come distinction. There are some brothers that will be distinguished among others. Not for preeminence, not for superiority, not for pride. This is not to show. It's for purpose. Joseph had purpose attached to him. Amen. So when God begins to use you, always remain humble. Always remain um, lowly in the disposition of your heart. Say it again with me, distinguished. You know, one thing about Samson, he loved God through all his failure. Not so. He still loved God and was not God gracious to him. Right at the end, he said, Lord, one more time. My last feet. A lad guided his hand to two major pillars in which all the Philistine princes were gathered for a celebration and others. And he pushed the pillars in his last act of grace and mercy by God. The Bible says in that one last act, he killed more Philistines in that one act than his whole life. Let me just say this to you. Don't ever underestimate what power and results can attend one act of obedience. Never underestimate what one act of compliance to the will of God will unlock and unveil within your life. Amen. This is going to be powerful in reference to how God is going to use us.
So tell someone, kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's an anointing within us that keeps us. Amen. It's a grace within us that's going to propel us to, to full functionality in God. Stand with me. I want us to present ourselves before the Lord. What the Bible says, the anointing breaks every yoke of bondage. Not so? It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit declares the Lord. Right? The anointing breaks the yoke. I'm going to read the scripture to you. The anointing breaks the yoke. Look, just put this verse up. Isaiah 10 verse 27. Look at this verse on the screen. Oh, where's the screen? <laughs> okay, let me quote it to you. Isaiah 10 and verse 27 says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken off thy shoulder and his yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Two oxen were yoked, and they would plow in tandem a field. It was a wooden implement attached to their necks. It's a, it's a vivid image of that the oxen have no personal choice in the matter. It's when your decision-making capacity is locked in to a certain program of life. And you find you can't break out of certain behavioral patterns. Right? you yoked. This text says that the yoke, everyone say the yoke, will be broken because of fatness. Look at the New King James. Now, before you go out and say I have reason to eat now, I'm going to get fat. No, 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 no. This word fat in the NASB, right, is the anointing oil in the original Hebrew. It says the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. I don't have time to explain this. The word fatness here implies you become fat in your spirit disposition. Spirit man becomes so strong that any um, weakness or challenge borne by your flesh or your soul is pulverized because you have grown too fat, too strong in spirit content. So soul and body reactions or rebellion to what God is saying to you in your spirit got no chance because in your spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, has become married to your spirit. And that anointing in you, by your obedience, will break every yoke of bondage. Tell someone it can break. Come on, tell someone it can break. I want to encourage you. Um, we were praying for a child uh, that was so hard in a particular respect over months. We all fasted and prayed for a long time. And in recent times, I've seen the change, drastic alteration of character, of disposition. I want to tell you nothing is impossible when the power of the anointing of the God's Holy Spirit is in operation. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Tell your neighbor, don't give up on yourself. Come on, don't give up on yourself. You can be kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be kept by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Slip up our hands to the Lord. Amen. The prayer is a simple prayer, but I want you to just position your heart before the Lord. Say, God, every time I obey, I will anoint myself. Every time I please you, I'm going to activate an anointing on my head. Every time I engage in righteous practice, I'm going to maintain the power, the energy, 
the resource of the Holy Spirit, that element of God in me and in my life, that is the reason for all of my successes. I never want to leave that God. I always want to please you, always want to obey you. Like Daniel, I make up my mind not to defile myself. And as I incline my heart to your will, I know that you will respond graciously with Holy Ghost anointing and power. Amen. So lift your hands to the Lord while we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray in Jesus' name, God, for um, a heart and a mind that is receptive to what you have spoken. Father, we receive this word today into our hearts and into our lives. We receive the power to live righteously. We confess, left to ourselves, we cannot do it. Like David, we will say many times, my heart and my flesh have failed me. But God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. God, we confess today of how we need your grace. Right now, I pray, oh God, that your, your power, the power and person of the Holy Spirit would be upon every single one now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Come on, just lift your hands to him and just respond to him. We receive capacity. We receive empowerment. Come on, let your spirit man be fat. Just grow. Sometimes we grow the soul, we grow the body, but let's make the spirit fat. Let that anointing of God's Holy Spirit just make your own spirit robust and enliven it today as you respond to Him. Father, I pray, O oh God, your anointing will grow, your anointing will increase in our lives. By the power of your grace, we commit to be obedient. We make a decision to obey you in all respects. By your power, we are able to do this. For we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.